So that's uh, our goal for this year, to get to know Jesus Christ better. And so that's why we are spending this whole year in the Gospel of Luke. We're just taking this time to dig into story after story and account after account to be able to get to know Jesus better. And the reason is, is we know, the more we know about Jesus and his truth, um, the greater the impact it is on our hearts and our lives, because Jesus As we're going to learn today, Jesus wasn't just a great teacher or a great prophet, but Jesus was God in the flesh who could change and transform every single one of us in our lives. And so that's why we're spending our time together. Um, And the prayer that we're praying together, and my prayer for me and for my family and for you as your pastor, comes from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 when Paul says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and here it is, so that you will know him better. And that's what we want for every single one of us, that we want to know God better and better and better. And the way we're doing that is spending time in the Gospel of Luke. And so we're started this year with a series simply entitled, Who is this Jesus? Um, and what we're doing as we take a look at this question, who is this Jesus, we're taking the time to be able to, to see some of the reactions and the responses to the work or to the miracles or to the teaching or just to the actions of Jesus, miracles that um, people were amazed at. And we're seeing, okay, so how did they react and respond? And more specifically, as we go through the Gospel of Luke this year, how are we going to respond to God? And so... The very first week, uh, we took a look at the difference between the reaction of Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, and the reaction of the teachers in the temple when Jesus was 12 years old, and how we can move from astonishment in Jesus to a deep and abiding faith in him, but it's got to be intentional. Then last week, we took a look at the story of Peter, the call of some of those first apostles, and how when Jesus gave him that miraculous catch of fish, what was Peter's response to that? It's like he fell down at the feet of Jesus, and he humbled himself before Jesus, but his response was, Lord, I'm a sinner. You need to get away from me. But what Peter didn't realize is for all of us, that's, that's the first step in Jesus really being able to work in our lives by us humbling ourselves before him. And so today... As we take a look, continue the study in the gospel, it's almost like Luke is trying to give us this contrast or comparison. It's like he's trying, trying to help us to understand that there are those who um, are disciples or who are true followers of Jesus and those who are just kind of in the crowd. And the reaction of all of us, those people that we're going to read about today, but the reaction of all of us really helps us determine where we fit in. Am I just in the crowd, just kind of like Jesus, or do am I really a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Um, you can have your Bible, you can put your phone on. Those of you who are online, there's a tab there, and you can find the scripture there. Um, but Luke chapter 7, the account that we have here from verses 11 through 17 this, Luke is the only gospel writer who records this particular story. He's the only one who does it. Matthew doesn't, Mark doesn't, John doesn't put it in his account. And it's a story, strangely enough, of Jesus interrupting a funeral. 
Now, of all the things that you might want to interrupt, a funeral is probably not the one that you want to do that, but because it's Jesus, it literally changes the whole attitude and mood of this particular funeral. And it's a story, though, that causes us to have to come face to face with who Jesus is, and more specifically, where he fits into our lives. And so that's the question I want you to wrestle with. Number one, does Jesus even fit in, or has everything else squeezed him out of the way? Who is Jesus in your life? And it's such a crucial message today. We all need it. I know I need it. Need to hear and be challenged about, okay, in the midst of all the other stuff that I have going on in my life, where does Jesus happen to fit in? Because we all know that that which is critical can easily be squeezed out of our lives by that which is important if we're not intentional, if we don't put him as a priority. And so our view of Jesus determines where he fits into our life. And so we're going to study this together. We're going to take a look at some of the reactions, again, and responses, those that were amazed or in awe of Jesus Christ. And we're going to wrestle with my own reaction, our response to Jesus himself. So this is Luke chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. You follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Soon afterwards, Luke writes, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we, we love you and we know that um, through the power of your word you speak into our lives so help us to listen, Lord. Help us to have open hearts and open minds. Lord, help me to listen to you and to be sensitive to your truth and your teaching as we talk this through together. And more than anything, Father, we want you to be honored in the midst of, of this time, Lord. We're your people. Move us closer to where you want us to be. In your most precious name we pray, amen. So Luke sets up this um, brief story with kind of a very subtle contrast here, all right? So he begins in verse 11 there. It says this, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Okay, so soon afterwards what? Well, soon after whatever took place beforehand. It was just kind of a transition. But he talks about that they went to a town called Nain. Okay, so here's a picture. So this is Galilee. So this is the north part of Israel. You've got Samaria here and then Judea where Jerusalem's at behind, uh, beneath that. And so the Sea of Galilee, but there's Nain in the bottom part there and that's where Jesus is at. That's where we find him and the setting happens to be this funeral that he's at. So he mentions in verse 11 that his disciples and a large crowd went along with them. And so as we think about this, 
the disciples and a large crowd, it really, it's almost a subtle way. It's like Luke is beginning to distinguish those people who are with Jesus almost in a way for us as we're reading it or for those who read it for the very first time to consider, okay, so where do I fit in? You know, am I in the crowd? Meaning, I like Jesus. I like hanging out with Jesus. Jesus does a lot of good things for us. He feeds us. They're going to learn he raises people from the dead. You know, I like being with Jesus, or am I a disciple? Meaning, I'm, I'm committed to Jesus. I've chosen to be a sold-out follower to Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means I am all in for Jesus Christ. And the question is, all right, where do I happen to fit in here? Because your view of Jesus determines where I fit in and where Jesus fits into my life. So we've got the funeral here. So verse 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. All right, so the setting of this is a funeral, which is, you know, almost all of the time an extremely sad occasion. I did a funeral the end of December for someone, and the gentleman who died said, I don't want there to be any crying. I, I don't want it to be a sad affair. And it's like, if you were loved, you're going to be missed. It's going to be a sad occasion. But what makes this funeral even sadder is that the deceased, as Luke calls him, was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. In other words, he's describing something, someone who is now completely alone. Not only has she lost her husband, now she's lost her only son. And in that culture, in that setting, as a woman who was all alone, I mean, she, I mean, she had no way to make money. She had, she had nothing. In other words, she was desperately alone. Her son, who was still alive before this moment, could have taken care of her, but now he's gone. And so I have to wonder, you know, knowing Jesus enough, is it just says, as he approached the town gate... It was almost like, well, he just happened to come along this way. I don't think Jesus ever just happens to come along. I think this was, you know, kind of this providential meeting. Jesus knew that, you know, at this time he was going to be at this place, at this gate, when these people were coming from the town, this huge crowd, going out to the cemetery. Um, so a, a large crowd is with her. So why would this large crowd have been with this woman? It's because they're trying to do anything they can to be supportive of this woman at a very, very difficult time in her life, right? I mean, isn't that what we try to do? We have a hard time, I think most people do, when we face something like this, grief or sadness, a funeral, especially a circumstance like this. It's like, what, you know, how, how do we help this particular person? So in the case of this you know, group of people, they're with her, going out of the town to the cemetery because they want to try to support her. You know, for us, we, we try to do things that support other people at a time like this. You know, some people make food. We send a card. We go to the visitation. You know, we, we, we try to say something that's encouraging, um, but most often it's just our presence that's the most meaningful thing. And there was a, a lady in the church that I served at some 25 years ago, her husband Bill, had cancer and ended up dying. And, and I appreciated Ann a lot, though. I, you know, I was pretty immature in regard to being in ministry and stuff there. I didn't really understand 
about how you help encourage people. And Anne was one of these kind of people, and I appreciated this about Anne, but she, she was very willing to tell you what she thought. <laughs> she, she, you know, she saw me as somebody who needed to learn something. And, and so I remember very clearly a couple things she said. Number one, she said, most people shouldn't say anything when you come up to somebody who's just lost somebody like that. Because nine times out of ten, you say something stupid. She said, don't quote scripture. You know, everything works together for the good of those. Who don't, don't do that. There's a time and place for that, but not right then and there. But she said one of the most important things is to remember that the most meaningful impact on somebody who's lost someone isn't really around the time of the funeral. It's days and weeks and months down the road. And she said, most people tend to want to pretend like that person, like her husband, didn't even exist. Like, if they mention it, she'll be sad. She goes, I think of him all the time. And so she said, when you're with someone like that, talk about the person who's deceased. Ask questions about what life must have been like for them because that's healing and that's very helpful to them. We all want to know what we can do to help people. And in this case, this large crowd, they were with her going out to the cemetery. But what made the huge difference was the compassion of Jesus, right? So look at verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. I love that phrase, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He saw who she was and the pain that she had. It's so crucial for us to learn this about Jesus, that he sees the pain you and I experience. He knows the hurt and the heartache that we go through in our lives. It doesn't escape him. And as it says, his heart went out to her. It's like it came from the very depths of who he was. His heart just went out to this particular woman. And then he says, don't cry, which from anyone else would have been insensitive, right? You don't tell somebody when they're sad like that. Don't cry. It's like you're judging them. But Jesus had some insight. He knew what was about to happen, right? And he had some power that you and I don't possess within us. He was anticipating what was about to happen next. So verse 14, then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus' interruption of this funeral completely changed everything. Now, don't you wonder what those pallbearers were thinking when Jesus reached up to stop them? You know, it's like, was this, nobody told me this, we were supposed to stop at this particular moment. You know, everybody wants to know what's supposed to happen next. And so they were a little bit surprised. <clears throat> but then what does Jesus do? He doesn't turn to the crowd. He doesn't even look at the mother. He looks at the dead guy laying up on there and then he speaks, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And with those words, Jesus brings the dead to life. And I love that phrase. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Only Jesus can give the dead back. Only Jesus can give what we think is irretrievably lost or broken. Only Jesus can give that back to us. Only Jesus can give us back hope. Only Jesus can give us back peace. And here was this mother who was so, so disheartened. And Jesus gave back to her, her son. Can you imagine the face of that particular widow? You know, he said, don't cry. 
she wouldn't have stopped crying, would she? But it would have gone from tears of just, you know, heartbreak to tears of unbelievable joy. And then the reaction of those who were all in the crowd there, verse 16. It says, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. I mean, to witness this kind of a miracle was, I mean, it was awe-inspiring to them. It, it says they, they were filled with awe. That's actually the word fear, but it's not like I'm terrified. It's just like I'm so astonished. I can't even, I can't even believe what just took place here. And they gave pra praise to God. They knew the source of this miracle, right? Because these were Jewish people. These were people who knew and believed in Almighty God. And there was no doubt or skepticism as to this miracle. It wasn't like they were like, oh, did this guy, was, maybe he was just asleep, you know, we didn't really know. Oh, no, they knew that this was absolutely a miracle because they saw it with their own eyes. But as you look at their reaction to this, even though they knew it was a miracle, their concept or understanding of Jesus, it falls short of who Jesus really is here. What, what did they say? They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. Now, why would they say a great prophet has appeared among us? Well, again, it would stem from the, what they were taught as they were growing up as Jewish young people. They were taught that there was also a great prophet who did this very same thing, a guy by the name of Elijah. It was Elisha who raised a widow's only son back from the dead. And Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets of all time in, in the Jewish realm. And what's also interesting is this idea, and whether it started here or some other place or it was just in the minds of the Jews, is this kind of rumor that Jesus was either Elijah come back or was like Elijah. Because do you remember? It's a little bit later here, but when Jesus comes to the 12 and he says, well, who do people say that I am? What was one of the answers they gave? You're, you're Elijah. In other words, in their mind, they're trying to come to grips with what has taken place. They're trying to come to grips with who this guy is. And so the only thing they can think to say is, well, a great prophet has come among us. And to call Jesus a great prophet is, is, is a real honor. And it connects his work with the Old Testament and yet it falls short of who Jesus really is. They also say there that God has come to help his people. I mean, that's a little bit of a further step. They saw this as God, and that was, again, another kind of a Jewish thing that they saw God coming and helping them and working in them. But again, it falls short of who Jesus really is because Jesus wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just God's representative on this earth. He wasn't just a good man or a great teacher. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. He's the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's no wonder by their reaction and response that some of these people stayed in the crowd. The group of people who liked Jesus, the group of people who thought Jesus could do some great things for us, but that's where they stayed because to them, he was just a great prophet. 
And so the question comes back to you and I again as we read this story, and really it kind of hits us a lot throughout this study of Luke, is where does Jesus fit into your life? I mean, where does Jesus fit? So again, Luke writes this letter to a guy by the name of Theophilus. And the first four verses of Luke 1 kind of tells us that. And it's, it's like he's trying to challenge Theophilus and even us to figure out, okay, exactly where does Jesus fit in? So here it is again, Luke chapter 1. Luke writes this. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, and here it is, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I'm guessing that Theophilus struggled with exactly where Jesus was supposed to fit in. Who is he? How he's supposed to fit into my life? Like you and I struggle with that at times. As we wrestle with our own lives and the things that God's wanting to do in our hearts and our lives. And so it comes back again. Where does Jesus fit in? You know, does he fit in so that I'm in the crowd? I like Jesus. He's a great guy. I like hanging out with him. He does good things for me. But I kind of keep him, you know, at arm's length. Or am I a disciple? Because our view of Jesus determines where he fits into our lives. And Jesus is such a crucial, critical person of history that everybody has to come to grips with this. Doesn't matter who you, you are, we have to come to grips with this. Who is Jesus? Where does he fit into my life? And I encourage you to wrestle with this. Wrestle with the question who is Jesus to you? Where does he fit in? How do you view Jesus? Can you tell us one interesting fact about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. No, I can't, actually. That's a good question. He died for people's sins. I don't know. He's the creepy-looking dead guy hanging from a crucifix. I heard he was a Jew. He'll rise again? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, he came back from the dead. That's pretty interesting, right? <laughs> He's the son of God, son of man, my savior. Uh, I hate to say it, I don't really know that much about Jesus Christ, to be honest. An interesting fact. Well, I can't give you a fact. It would be all hearsay. Apparently, he used to be here 2,000 years ago, but I wouldn't know anything to be a fact. He doesn't exist. If a complete stranger died for you, would you be interested in finding out about who that person was? I, I would. Heck yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Sure. Why, why wouldn't I? Obviously, yeah, that would make me interested. Why? If someone died for me? Well, I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice, so... Yeah, that would make me interested. Absolutely, yes. I'd be very interested because they felt that I was worth it, and I'd want to know why. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. Because, I mean, that person just saved my life. They, they gave their lives to save a complete stranger's life. I mean, I think that deserves a little more than just looking into.
So if Jesus, you know, truly is the Son of God, and if he really came to save us, then we, we need to make sure that we have room for Jesus in our hearts and in our life. But the thing most of us tend to wrestle with, if we're being honest, is the fact that sometimes the other things of life squeeze Jesus out of the way. It's not that we meant to do that, right? It's not our intention to not have any time for Jesus Christ, but it's like life gets busy, life gets crazy. We have other things that are going on. It's like, will we take time for Jesus? Because again, our view of Jesus determines where we allow him to fit into our life. And so my encouragement for each one of us is to figure out how, how do I make room for Jesus? And I'm not saying in some big way, you know, I'm not saying, okay, so I'm going to spend 20 hours every single week with Jesus, you know, and his word. I'm just saying make one small step that allows you to say, okay, I'm not going to let this squeeze Jesus out of my life. I'm going to make sure that I spend time with Jesus and for me, my, my encouragement to you is to make a commitment in this year that you're going to make sure that you're going to, you know, be committed with us as far as studying about Jesus and the gospel of Luke, that you're going to spend time on your own, even just a few minutes every single day, being able to just learn and get to know Jesus better because the more you understand about Jesus, the more you see his love and his compassion for you. And then the more you begin to experience the power and the work of Jesus in our lives. I mean, why wouldn't we want to give our hearts and lives to somebody who shows such compassion and such power as he did in this miracle? And as I read this miracle, I kept thinking, you know, there's other stories of Jesus raising somebody from the dead. Why, why did Luke include this? You know, why, why did he put this in there? Why did God want this included? And I think it's for us to see this one called Jesus and then wrestle with it, you know, does Jesus fit into my life or have I allowed other things to squeeze him out of my life? And as you look at this particular story, one of the funny parts of the story is when Jesus tells this young man, I want you to get up, right? What's he do? It says he sits up and he begins to talk. Now, I would love to know what the guy said, right? I think what he said is, what is going on? I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be back there where I just came from, right? Because the miracle wasn't for him. The miracle was for the mother. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. He wants to work in our lives, but we've got to figure out how do we make room for Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to give you the room to work on my heart, the place I need in my heart so that I can put you first always. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to um, share together in a worship song, kind of a song of decision or reflection. And as we sing this song, I really want you to consider the words and what they mean and the impact that they can have on you and ask yourself this question, where does Jesus fit in? Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful and grateful for your work in our lives. And Lord, there's so many things in this world, in our community, that pull on our hearts, that get in the way of you, that squeeze you out. And Lord, today, as your people, we make a commitment to, Lord, to put you back in first place. Because really, Lord, that's the only place that you will choose to be in our lives. And so help us to move from being in the crowd to being real disciples and followers of you, Father. 
Lord, speak into our hearts and our lives this day. In your most precious name we pray, amen.